0: Welcome back, everybody. If this is your first time seeing me wearing this, uh, go here instead. That um, is the whole playlist I recommend starting at the beginning with Dhammapada, part one. If you definitely want to start with part one of the Lotus Sutra, click here. Okay, hopefully those guys are gone now. Um, for those of you who saw Part 7 and are watching Part 8, all right, okay, uh, thank you. Um, so if you haven't seen Part 7, this might not make a lot of sense. So you you might have noticed that I was a bit critical, and I was kind of having a bit of a... I, it, I'm going to be talking a little bit in this one. I. I intend to, you know, make this a purely I'm reading to you, you can learn, because it's like a book on tape. But also, it's an organic thing. There's no real set rules with this. I'm making the rules for this series, so, you know, uh, if there were or are rules, then I, of course, can change them and break them at my will. Because, you know, anyway, I know the boss. Me. Um, I try to make them about a half an hour And uh, generally speaking, I'm reading the sutras or Buddhist books, as it were, in order by century, as best I can. Now, there's theories that the Lotus Sutra is from the first or second century. If you have information about the time when the Lotus Sutra was written, I would be very interested to hear about that in the comments. Wikipedia, as we all know, you know, is uh, not 100% reliable, though I like it as a resource. Okay, so uh, first, let me just read something to you. A friend of mine, Robbie, hi Robbie, if you're watching, wrote to me, uh, he sent me this video and he wrote, another thing I've been grokking, pause, sidebar, if you don't know what that means, you haven't read Stranger in a Strange Land, by Robert Heinlein, um, and I get it, Robert Heinlein these days is considered a bit problematic for his portrayal of women. Anyway, uh, but he's a good sci-fi author. Lovecraft is, uh, you know, for example, a a brilliant sci-fi horror writer and innovator um, who was also problematic for his racism. So, you know, Beethoven, if you've seen Immortal Beloved, was very rude to his servants and so on and so forth. It's sad, but, uh, you know, true that most of the people that we admire in life and even make our heroes, oh my god, all the people who loved Bill Cosby, there's some who, who still insist on loving Bill Cosby, um, you know, in a transcendental agape kind of level, then yes, we can love everyone, but not quite the same way as before. Anyway, all right, that's neither here nor there. What am I talking about? Yes. So, grok. To grok means to drink or to understand. So it's kind of like a little more than, uh, you know, it's like getting it, but it's like really absorbing it and going, ah, yes, okay, this idea that you've given to me, I am one with now. I, I get it to grok something. So, grokking, it's a. They used it a lot in the 70s, you know, when the. That book was sort of being read by everyone. If you haven't read it, it's a good read. Get the unabridged version. There's like an extra, I don't know how many pages, an extra 60, 80 pages or something rather than the shorter one. Okay, because it was a little bit like he was treading on some territory that people were like, this was a little too thoughtful, you know, a little too controversial for the 60s. Um, and so later they, they released the full version that included those parts. So, okay, this isn't about Robert Heinlein. This is about the Buddha and Buddhism. So my friend Robert, uh, by the way, that's Robert Strong, PhD, Gonzo Theology, check it out. Not right now, after you finish this. Good friend of mine. Um, He wrote, another thing I've been grokking on is the Buddhist idea of their first man a whole society of which Buddha was just the better known. So, here was my response. I'm having to transition into thinking that way, or at least as a sort of suspension of disbelief paradigm shift as I delve into Mahayana. Otherwise, I'll just be stuck in rolling my eyes and saying Theravada is better like the woman in uh, episode six that I said, you know, that according to this is not a true disciple. I I was in episode seven. I was sort of talking and thinking like she uh, does or did. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Um, But if you watch these in order, then you will know what I'm talking about unless you were like spaced out at times a little bit. All right. So continuing with what I wrote just an hour ago. It seemed that idea, okay, what idea? It seemed the idea of that Buddha was a special example of that there were Buddhas before him, and you know, everything he said, you know, like the whole first two hours of the Lotus Sutra was Manjushri telling Maitreya that, oh, well, you know, there's been Buddhas before and they've given Lotus Sutras before and none of this is new. So I wrote, it seemed that idea that idea, to develop sometime between Gautama Buddha and the first or second centuries, assuming that's when this was written. But the thing is, the sutras were developed not by idiots, but devout, lifelong Buddhists, scholars, who of course did not have access to the knowledge, science, and archeology span we take for granted in the 21st century. And if we talk too much about the bath, or if I, if I, in this series, if I talk too much about the bathwater, okay, a little sidebar, because sometimes I use expressions that aren't commonly known around the world, or maybe even aren't known by people under a certain age. There's an expression, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which basically means um, because there's some dirty water, you threw the baby out, that's not good, right? You know, like, if you're throwing dirty water out the window, make sure you get the baby first, right? So, so what, what I'm kind of saying, it's like a, a metaphor, an analogy, an allegory. Um, so, people will say, you know, because Lovecraft is a racist, I will have nothing to do with reading Lovecraft. You could say they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, because you know give give you, you can give other examples i won't go through and until i alienate someone <laughs> but uh but yeah throwing the baby out with the bathwater it can be said of christianity with uh you know the bathwater of the crusades and uh the inquisition and uh you name it prosperity gospel and all that and by the way If you think I'm being hypocritical, because recently I posted a poem uh, talking about how the approach of worshipping Lakshmi is better than you cannot serve both God and money. And then like setting up this like this tight, rigid thing that somehow results in slavery and genocide in order to dominate the world through capitalism. You know what I mean? Um, Whereas the, the Indian approach of thank you, Lakshmi, for this wealth. I will use it for my health and my family and uh, adorn your statue with gold. And if I drop money on the ground, I'll apologize to you because it's your physical form and I'll touch it to my third eye. And kiss it. Don't touch your mouth with money if you want to start doing that. They just sort of near your mouth. Anyway, if you think I'm being a hypocrite by by saying prosperity gospel bad, Lakshmi good, what I'm talking about with prosperity gospel is these guys in these giant, uh, you know, cathedrals that say, give me 10% or 50% or 90%, especially if you're old and senile and, you know, you'll go to heaven, the treasures will come back to you. Not only that, but you'll you'll prosper, you know, uh, if you give me money, then uh, God will see that and make sure that your stock goes up or whatever and, and you get money. That's what I mean by prosperity gospel. Not, you know, going against the poverty mentality Inherent in certain aspects of uh Christianity among people who emphasize that Jesus was a dirty hippie who was a beggar, and so therefore shall I be as well. You can make money, it's okay. But don't listen to those a-holes on Trinity broadcasting, that's all I'm saying. Okay, I'm like making too many points when I'm really just trying to make one point. So I'll get back to it. Baby bathwater, right? The baby on the bathwater. Okay. If I talk too much about the bathwater on this channel, like I did in episode 7, people might hear me talking and give up on searching for the baby in it. I mean in my Buddhist books recordings, talking to Robbie. The idea that if the state of awakeness, Buddha means awake, the state of awakeness that Buddha means is universal and reachable by anyone, then it stands to reason that there are myriads of kotis of them, Buddhas, uh, throughout the past, present, and future. Yet, that it is so difficult and so rare, it also stands to reason that there are times, ages even, when there is not one single Buddha present. Given that things repeat themselves, the sorts of themes presented in something like the Lotus Sutra that it's all happened before even exactly like this buddhism said exactly what i'm saying before and built stupas to other previous buddhas before End parentheses i've been approaching it as a literalist historian too focused on gautama as being unique in all of time and space i'm starting to grok the benefits of expanding beyond It offends me when people hundreds of years after he died write in his name things he didn't and never would have said. For one thing, if I can't accept Mahayana as it is, not as a dogma, but as a paradigm, there will be no hope for getting the Vajrayana Sutras when I finally get to those a few years from now, because at the rate I'm reading, putting up a half an hour twice a week, uh, it's going to take few years before I actually get to the Vajrayana. Now, um, just a couple things. Again, I, I try not to make this about me, but I wanted to introduce you to my namesake. As you may know, my name is Edward. This guy's name is also Edward. See? See the resemblance? He's my grandfather, my, my mother's father. Now, you've heard me mention at the end of every episode that my father and I meditated together and he taught me the, uh, this meditation. So there you have a little bit of insight into the weird DNA that I am in, uh, you know, an unflowering of. So I've got my grandpa in me, and he raised me to be a scientist. He raised me to be, you know, I won't say an atheist, but someone who questions things, uh, you know, and doesn't take anything that anybody says as truth until he's tested it himself. He's the sort of scientist that when he would receive the, uh, the scientific newsletters, And it would say, okay, it's been discovered, it's been uncovered and peer-reviewed and everything, that when you mix this chemical with this chemical, it produces this chemical, which can be used for this. He would say, hmm, go into his garage, get those chemicals, do the experiment himself, say, okay, okay, yeah, it's as they say. Then he would do it again and again and again. And then, until he was satisfied, before he accepted it as part of his sense of reality which was always open to being updated if new evidence presents itself so that's the sort of Rosicrucian, excuse me the uh, sort of scientist he was um, and so then my dad on the other hand was like I'm getting that on the astral in a former life you and I were you know like that right more like Kinda like these guys, right? And uh, he wrote a book called Transformations um, where he talks a lot about how everything's been done before and there's there's a cycle and it just repeats itself and even the words I'm saying right now has been said before and I've said it before even to you and blah 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 blah. So he talks a lot like the Lotus Sutra talks. Um, So anyway, why why am I bringing that up? Just to kinda let you know where I'm coming from. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess to apologize a little bit. Okay, who's vibrating? I don't appreciate that. Uh, anyway. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm not trying to make this about the The Bluetooth device is ready to pair. Wow, that's obnoxious. Okay. I'll cut that out. Uh, but, uh, anyhow, did I say everything I wanted to say? I hope so. Um, If I didn't, then I'll mention it, uh, you know, in Episode 9. But for now, I've gone on a lot longer than I usually do at the beginnings of these. And uh, thank you for your patience. Again, if you just want a straight reading of the Lotus Sutra, this is not the channel for you. If you're enjoying my approach of pure honesty, as best I can, and a little bit of humor and lightness and, and, uh, you know, uh, this is a process for me too. So, you get to watch me go through that process and uh, for whatever it's worth. I'll jump right in, right where I left off last time. Likewise, have all who caused jewel images to be made and dedicated, adorned with the 32 characteristic signs, reached enlightenment? I, for one, would like to know what these 32 characteristics are. Years ago, when I was like doing this kind of footnotey, you know, like, uh, goose-chasing footnotes, as my dad put it, um, I, I found them and wrote them out, but I forget what they were. I think one of them is like the shape of your head and stuff, so it's kind of like, huh? But anyway, again, this was 2,000 years ago, so we'll give them a little bit of, you know, grace. It was only, like, what, 300 years ago that people were still getting excommunicated for saying, like, what? I mean, it's today. People are still saying the Earth is flat. So, I mean, whatever, you know? Okay. Um, others who had... If you're angry because I said that, you, that it's ridiculous to say the Earth is flat, please comment below and tell all your friends to comment below. All right. Uh, others who had images of sugatas made of the seven precious substances what are the seven precious substances Comment below of copper or brass have all of them reached enlightenment i have a feeling one of them is lapis lazuli cuz th- they're always going on about lapis lazuli lazuli and these uh, i think before uh, what's the name of that company that uh, that that like pure evil company that made diamonds what it is in the brains of people today um well, anyway, uh, yeah, back then, instead of gold and diamonds and platinum, people were talking about lapis lazuli and, you know, rose quartz and stuff like that. It's kind of, kind of sweet, you know. Um, all right, where are we? They reached enlightenment. All right, I'll accept it. I'm, you know, it's the Lotus Sutra. It's the Lotus Sutra. Namu Myoho Right? Um... Those who ordered beautiful statues of sugatas to be made of lead, iron, clay, or plaster have. Those who made images of the sugatas on painted walls with complete limbs uh, and the holy signs, whether they drew them themselves or had them drawn by others, have. Attain Nirvana. Those even, whether men or boys, oh yeah, sorry, I wanted to tell you, because I haven't told you. Um, as far as, you know, okay, yeah, there's the grandpa side that's very like, okay, okay, really, is this true? Is it really true? Is it really, really true? And then there's my dad, That you know, and they both kind of are in me, in a sense. Uh, I went to Bhutan. I'll, tell, I'll try to make it short. I went to Bhutan, and I went to the Nyingma uh, monastery in the valley whose name I forget. It starts with a P. It's where the famous uh, black neck uh, cranes, uh, the Tibetan cranes, fly back and forth between Tibet and Bhutan. And in the winter time, I believe they they come to Bhutan and they go three times around the Nyingma monastery before they land and do their thing in the field there. And there's good preservation societies making sure that people don't overbuild because basically so there's so many people like me that are interested in this stuff that they go over there and then uh you know so tourism is kind of big there and uh, they but they try to limit the number of tourists because they can see like india and, and, and nepal and they're like let's not end up looking like that they just opened their doors like what 20 years ago 23 years ago uh they didn't have tv or internet before that um, so they're kind of new thanks for using OUD product right okay so they're kind of new to the rest of the world which is I mean you know I think it's beautiful uh, because you can actually walk into a place that's like in the mind of Padmasambhava you know like sort of like a Ghibli uh, imagining of, of Tibetan you know, culture without the Chinese malls and everything that are in Tibet proper but anyway um so, what am I talking about? So, I was there in Bhutan, and sharing my guide brought me to the Ningma monastery. Ningma means old school; it means ancient. So, it refers to when Padmasambhava went to Tibet and he taught everything to Yeshit Tsogyal. Taught, taught everything to Yeshe Tsogyal, um, and then she, then he, he got out of there. Uh, you know, he's he's like a big monumental figure there. But it's I think it's important to remember. In fact, I'll refer you, I have a channel called What Would Yeshi Do, dedicated to Yeshi Tsokyo, the woman that Padmasambhava gave his teachings to, then got out of town, and then she became the one who was the head of what we now call Tibetan Buddhism, uh, Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhism. And the original, that original form is called, nowadays, it's called Nyingma. They didn't call it at the time because it wasn't ancient yet. Uh, then later, all these other forms uh, developed, and there's still smaller yogic lineages uh, that we'll get into years from now when I get to the Ian Baker stuff and some of the other uh, Nyingma and Vajrayana Buddhist uh, texts. Um, but anyway, so that's Nyingma. So there's some Buddhists there that are Nyingma. There's some monks there, in other words, in the, the monastery there. One of them made, I don't know if you can see behind uh, Vimalamitra, there's a... Uh, a wood carving of the fish, the knots, and the lotus that was made by one of the monks there. And I have a picture of me with him and everything, and he signed the back. Um, so while I was there, we went into the monastery, we went into the temple, you know, and then into like the sacristy. And, you know, like I said, there's my grandpa and my dad both in me. So I'm not a fool, but here's what happened. Uh, they brought me in and, you know, I was talking to the monk. He spoke English pretty well and kind of telling him where I'm coming from. And he brought this relic from somewhere and it was covered in cloth, stitched cloth. So it, nobody ever opens it. And he said, this is the breastplate of Sambhava. And he had cheering and I touch it. And, you know, you could say it's placebo, you could say it's all in my head, but I I felt, whoa. You know, I felt like I had been initiated. I felt a connection. I felt, wow. I touched the breastplate of Padmasambhava that he gave to uh, uh, Tashi. Uh, Tashi, I forget her her last name. her surname. She was the, the the dog keeper, the Himalayan dog keeper, that uh, in Bhutan they say is from Bhutan, um, and she was one of the students of students, students, yabyum students, uh, consorts they call them, but I think that's a little bit old-fashioned. Uh, so I I call them students or uh, partners, girlfriends of Padmasambhava. Um, she was one of those, and so he, gave, he gifted her his breastplate. And so it remained in, in uh, Bhutan, and thus was kept in the ancient Nyingma Monastery in Bhutan, in Western Bhutan. Or so they say. <laughs> you know, that's, my, that's my grandpa talking. Um, so anyway, I touched it. I felt that connection. The monk that allowed me to have that experience, he was wearing this. He was wearing a robe exactly like this, except with a proper collar shirt underneath, with long sleeve, not like some kind of, you know, jungly. Uh, jungly it turns out, is a Hindi word. Did you know that? Uh, there's so many words that came from Hindi when the British were here, uh, and they brought them back, and it sort of took on its own meaning, and, uh, like, pundits, we say pundits meaning talking heads on uh, TV, a specialist in a certain topic, but pundits is a priest. And what would, what would happen is like the Jesuits and then later the British and scholars were, who were studying languages would sit with the pundits because the pundits were, were expert in Sanskrit and they would analyze, okay, what is this, what is this, what does it mean? And they discovered basically through triangulation they discovered proto indo european they discovered that there must be an ancestor language to all of these languages because there's just too many coincidences raja royal uh we with uh some other examples there's a lot of examples of, of that um so and kent or kentum or centum or uh uh, you know, meaning a 100, there's just a lot. There's a lot of these like, things that are like, whoa, this is extremely similar to Latin, Greek, not only that, but the ancient Celtic languages and the ancient Germanic languages. So there's a common ancestor of ancient Germanic, ancient Celtic, Latin, Greek, and Sanskrit. And uh, so they, they figure that they were around 9,000 years ago in the steppes which I think are in, like, Georgia or Romania. I'm revealing a little bit of ignorance in in not knowing exactly where the steps are, but that's where, like, domesticated horses came from and later Genghis Khan. So it's like, you know, first they domesticated horses and became the ancestors of everybody. Not everybody. Not everybody. That's, you know, proto-Indo-European-centric thinking on my part. I apologize to the uh, braided pot people um, who gave us words like horse. Anyway... Okay, I'm not even reading the Lotus Sutra in this one, um, so I apologize that I barely even got to the Lotus Sutra in this one because I wanted to tell you a few things. I wanted to tell you my reflections on how I uh, was approaching part seven and how I was uh, not giving it much respect and I was just sort of going, this isn't historically accurate, and then claiming that the Dhammapada was the real words of the Buddha, which it probably wasn't either. It was written at least a couple hundred years after the Buddha passed away, where the Lotus Sutra was written more like seven or eight hundred years after the Buddha passed away. No one really knows what the Buddha actually said. The closest we can get would be the Pali Sutras, but, and this is something that Uh, you know, is a debate that can be had within Christianity as well, where the red-letter Christians, uh, I mean, I guess fundamentalist isn't the right word, because even though the meaning of the word fundamentalist itself might apply, the people who call themselves fundamentalist Christians aren't red-letter Christians always. Um, They're more like, let's interpret Revelation according to this passage in the Old Testament and say that it's going to happen in 1863, you know, and that's not exactly red letter, right? And I'm not counting the red letter text in the book of Revelation. It should change the color of that text. Anyway, uh, that was uh, John the Revelator on Ergot that was growing on the, well, okay. Getting far afield. So the point is that in Philia, Philokalia and uh, there, in a lot of other texts, there were a lot of scholars, a lot of monks, a lot of people who did very deep work and very deep meditation and became healers and had insights, people like Saint Francis, there are problematic aspects of St. Francis as well, and he's sort of one of the originators of the, uh, you know, better to lie about the corruption in the church rather than uh, let people know that it's not perfect because it should be perfect in their mind. It's like, okay, thank you for the prayer of St. Francis, St. Francis, and thank you for the, uh, you know, that Brother, Son, Sister, Moon movie, and uh, for the 14 Stations of the Cross, but we could have done without the, let's cover up the corruption in the Catholic Church please. Um, my point being that there are other people besides Jesus who their legacy is uh, not without value, that it's it's worth knowing about. And, uh, and in my point of view now, as it's evolving, the Mahayana Sutras are uh, an example of that. It's the, you know, monks, scholar monks standing on the shoulders, figuratively, of other scholar monks that all have been working together, focusing on Buddhist principles for, at that time, seven or eight hundred years, and the product of what they thought was important to be said. And it's very interesting looking at it like that, Um, as far as the cyclical nature, and there were Buddhas before, and Buddhas before that, and you know, not everybody's ready for the whole thing, and you know, just tell them that they already know, so they go away so that you can tell the people who are hungry for more knowledge. Um, all these things are, I, I, you know, just important to consider, I think. And uh, we're already at a half an hour almost, so I apologize for uh, not actually reciting any Lotus Sutra in this episode of Lotus Sutra. I'll make it up to you next time. I'll just jump right in and do nothing but reading, but I felt it important to... Did I finish the story about this robe? Yeah, so this isn't the actual... I didn't take the robe from the monk. I went to a store that sold things like monk robes. It's the same place where I got that flag, that flag, um, not where I got those, uh, the eight, there's four on this side and four on that side, the eight auspicious symbols, but these these two flags for sure, the uh, Tibetan-looking ones, those are Bhutani. And uh, I got those and this paid for them at a store in Paro, Bhutan. And uh, they were all kind of like laughing, putting, putting it on me, making sure it fit, showing me how to fold it, and then I forgot and I kind of had to evolve and tap into primal memories of those five seconds that they showed me how to wear it and figure it out because there aren't any like tutorials on wearing this type of robe online. So what you see is my figuring it out, I guess, but they did show it to me at one point. Um, so that's where this comes from. So people who are uh, wokists, not, I'm not saying that with any uh, bile or any judgment or any, I'm, you know, I'm just saying it's a thing. Um, they may, according to their dogmas, you know, see me as a white oppressor, culturally appropriating, you know, Bhutani culture. And I understand that. I understand that you feel that way, and I see the truth in what you're saying, and I see the importance of pointing out things like that, given Elvis, right? and a few other you know big examples of like really negative uh, appropriations of other people's culture. It's not my intention to be like Elvis in uh, that sense. Um, I'm wearing this because I aspire to uh, be more Buddhist. Also, I'm wearing this with in my mind and heart the words of Dogen and he he quoted other people so when i say when i say i'm quoting dogen i'm probably quoting someone else indirectly through dogen but he talked about that there was a woman who was a prostitute and i know uh, that these days that's fine but you know being a prostitute it's, it's fine hopefully it'll be legal in your country soon i'm talking to the wokists for you conservatives that are horrified by what i just said anyway um, so there was a prostitute who, who saw a nun's robe, and she put it on and said, ha, look, I'm a nun, <laughs> and then took it off. And as a result of her wearing that robe, just for a few seconds as a joke, she in her next life became a nun. And in the life after that, she became a nun. And in the life after that, if I'm not mistaken, she became a nun and attained nirvana. So yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not claiming to be a monk. I'm not planning to become a monk in this life, but I, I am wearing the robe, uh, kind of with that in mind, you know? So I don't claim to be on the path as Keanu Reeves put it. I am not a, what did he say? I don't practice the Dharma, you know? Um, but I am interested in it and drawn toward it. And I, I, uh, I honor it and, I, and I'm sorry if I was disrespectful to the Lotus Sutra Namu Myoho Renge Kyo right um, in, in episode 7 and uh, I apologize for not reading any Lotus Sutra in this episode except for like one paragraph so uh, I will stop talking your ear off now and uh, get to the prayer that my father and I used to pray every morning after our Nyingma, Tibetan yogi meditations that he got from his guru. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Oh.